Hey, Alyssa. Hi, Arwen. Welcome to the final episode of season two of the Subpop Podcast. Wow. Season finale. Yeah, we did it. Part two of a two-part. Right. So this is um, our second part of our interview with Josh Tillman, a.k.a. Father John Misty. Uh, You can learn more about Josh by listening to episode nine. Otherwise, (laughs) you might be a little confused. But maybe you don't want to play by those rules. Maybe you just want to listen to part two. Whatever. I'm not going to stop you. Go to part one, find out the beginning. Go to Subhop FM, find out more. Yeah. Or just listen. Father John Misty interview. Part two. <laughs> I think we've covered that. <laughs> when you were at a point in your career where you felt like your creative pulse was really faint, mm-hmm. how did you get yourself back from there? By quitting music. For like three weeks, I quit. (laughs) You know, seriously, where I was just like, I was just like, done. Because I got so exhausted by identifying as nothing more than a failed singer-songwriter. I just couldn't, I didn't have the energy left to like stoke that flame anymore. I, I was just like, you are not cellularly, spiritually, existentially, in any meaningful sense, like you are not really a failed singer-songwriter. You are an upright ape who can do anything you want. And I really felt like a slave to this like Jay Tillman person that was not me at all, you know? It was this thing, it was just my way of going, daddy, I'm real, take me seriously, hear my pain. And all that music really was like, there was one, one theme that ran throughout all of it. And all of it, were there were just minor variations on this one theme which was mom doesn't love me and God isn't real after all. And that was how I, I just dealt with it that way. I I was really had an, had like a, an agenda, like this weird, like vendetta that wasn't nourishing my life in any way, you know? So how is a vendetta for you in music, making music? How is a vendetta different than catharsis? I think because if you go through a catharsis, you you aren't capable of concluding it with a ven- with the completion of a vendetta. I wasn't doing the work. I told myself I was doing the work because I was putting so much literal work into it, you know, like the writing and recording and the like fruitless touring and you know, all all that stuff. But it wasn't, I think what I realize now is that it just took to do what I'm trying to do now, which is such, 
such blowfish preparation. Like I could never have done it when I was when I was younger, you know. Whether I'm successful at it now is up for debate, but I definitely couldn't have done it then because I had too much pride. Like I was one of those kids who like I was really funny and disruptive and and you know, I just oscillated between like lethargic, withdrawn sloth boy into, and then between that and like manic, insane, chatty exhibitionist, you know? And those two informed each other. Like the sadness of, and the depression of the one state like informed there was so much anger in the way that I was funny, you know, or disruptive or whatever. And when I got out of the house and was on my own, I was like determined to carve out a space in my life where, where I didn't run the risk of coming off as funny, you know? Because a lot of funny children are like begging to be understood and they're just misfiring completely. So I've all so I have a really complicated relationship to the funny thing, you know, like f laughter and a lot makes my skin crawl a lot of the time, you know, unless it's just between two friends and you're having like a major, you know, download or something. But in a performance space, it, it really makes me uncomfortable, and it's interesting that I still go after it so hard. I don't not as much as I used to, but it's just an anxiety response. My music now and the humor in it and whatever is just a very bizarre concession to my nature and to my youth and to my, just my, my personhood, you know? It's like, whether I like it or not, this has to be part of the equation, whether I like it or not, but it has to be there. It's the price of admission for me getting to something that's real. So then would you still describe yourself in that same way? The way that you describe like the child? that was Josh? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm... Do you think that I'm essentially the same now as I was as a child? No, I want to know if you think you're essentially the same. Um, like, do you still feel like you're at some points like um, a quiet, withdrawn kid and then at other times just like a jester for the sake of fear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, the thing is, like, I'm a lot more comfortable in in both of those. Like, in I have a lot more compassion for myself, you know? We all carry that around. Yeah. And this just happens to be my version of it. And, you know, I have totally have, like, latent middle-class bourgeois values, Christian values that, that emerge when I least expect it. I mean, that's a very, like, that's a very, very honest, you know? And because all those things are a way of numbing the pain of being alive and humans gravitate for whatever reason we just naturally gravitate towards numbing the pain and towards trying to make trying to make sense and order you know so that we don't have to do the work or, or the, so that we don't have to be ourselves but you just have to demystify you know like that's that's really um that's really, I, I, th I just think it's really, the, that's really the key, you know? Like, 
to not fetishize your own, whatever you perceive your shortcomings to be, you know? that happens while you're writing mm -hmm. these records, what are you working through? I moved to New Orleans because I just needed to get, I, you know, I wanted to conduct this experiment where I stopped drinking, smoking, doing drugs, eating meat, <laughs> drinking caffeine. I wanted to like, you know, do, do this, you know, I wanted to isolate myself and see what happened what in one part on a human level and then also creatively you know because so much of what what I had done on the last two albums they were like there were things that were like written in the heat of passion that's such a horrible cliche but like things that were written in the moment you know like a one-to-one -one reaction to something that had happened and uh, I almost in some ways had a suspicion that I was engineering <laughs> life to be song worthy or something you know and that's that I think that that probably haunts me to some to some degree I, I just had this like intuition that I that in order to write what I wanted to write next I needed to cultivate like an internal silence you know like I needed I needed clarity because I really wanted to write about now and I wanted to write about, also write about, I wanted to, I felt like it was time where I could really well like address my greatest hits of like grievances with <laughs> human life <laughs> and this whole experiment. And it's just like, that's a, that's a motherfucker. It's very topical. What I, what I realized like about three or four songs in was that I was making basically like Ecclesiastes with more saxophone. We live in this like really hyper political time where we're drawing more and more sophisticated distinctions and getting lost in the fact that there is liberation in realizing that we just keep stepping on the same rake over and over and over again. It's easy to despair that like evil keeps getting like more and more sophisticated and and more and more pervasive and humans are just are lost and also thinking like we've never been more humane it's that kind of specificity of thinking that i think really detaches you from the truth of of what we are which is a i think we're like a cosmic joke which I don't think, I don't mean that in a fatalistic way, you know, I think we're given agency to make human life whatever we want it to be. And 
with yeah with this record i just i wanted to make a trans political album for like a really really political time you know which just like it's a real blast um (laughs) (laughs) chock full of hits I love it. Like I really love it, and I feel really, I feel really confident, you know, that I, that the way that I got there was was the right way. But know? do you feel better having made it? Ab- yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, you know. Like if what an album needs a lot of the, for me a lot of the time fills the gap, or it represents what my worldview needs or my thinking needs. You know, where you have, you've got these kinds of songs that represent this thing. And then you go, you know, like with this album, I had like five pretty dense, like topical songs that uh, were not about me at all, you know. And I got to that point and and realized like, this isn't going to be worth a shit if there's nothing personal in this. And then realizing... The political is the personal. The relationship between the political and the, and the personal just kind of became like the, I mean, it's not even political, but just like the macro and the micro became not, not only something that benefited the album, but just informed my own thing and made me go deeper into that, you know, to where I think it is, I think it is a real catharsis. Like the album is, it's, it's kind of just like this going from narcissism which is saying like everything is ultimately about me all the way through to the end of the song which is like nothing is about me but my life is a miracle Not as cynical as people think. I'm really, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because I don't consider you a cynical person. No. But I'm, you're interpreted as such a cynical person yeah. in a way that like makes me feel like I'm, someone else saw you do something that I just didn't see. Because I don't, yeah. I'm not seeing that. So I want to know why you think that you're interpreted that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little salty, you know, in certain environments, especially like, when I'm exhausted, when I'm, um, you know, I just have this horrible, like, impulse to, like, make people happy, you know, like, where it's with, like, radio, like, radio interviews and stuff like that, where, where I'm going, like, I really don't want to do that, you know, like, what am I going to say, what is, you know, and then the Dutch Puritan, you know, heritage voice goes like this you gotta work hard you signed up for this like but then I get there and then the imp takes over and 
it's a very immature thing. You know, it's like, I'm, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't it just know. Whatever. seems like maybe at least, I don't know, some of the interviews I was watching of you today. They're not that bad. I'm always shocked at the shit that people freak out over. Well, here's the thing is that it seemed, I, maybe I've been on the other side of it for too long as an interviewer. And there is this expectation where you ask them a que- someone a question and they're expected to answer it, whether or not you care what the answer is. Right. And you don't seem to be playing that game in the interviews. You seem to be recognizing that the in a lot of cases, it seems like the person who's asking you a question is either trying to get a rise out of you or they're just asking it because they have to. Yeah. And if that's how the person is coming across, you recognize that in your answer. And you're mm-hmm. like, all right, this is ridiculous. I'm going to be ridiculous. Like if it's going to yeah. be this like puppet show, this theater, yeah. then I'll play the role of like this character. Yeah, and who is the puppet show for? Yeah. It's not for the interviewer. It's for the fucking audience. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you know what? Like interviews in Europe are completely different. How so? They are just better. <laughs> like, because there's just a different agenda, you know? I mean, it's... Like, what do you mean by that? They're just more considerate of someone's humanity. It does seem to me, though, that like so many of the interviews I watched with you today, there was this idea that you were content. You know, what's the most extreme version of Josh Tillman that we can get or whatever. But it is this uncomfortable prodding, like to know you to know you before these interviews happen and then be watching these interviews today. Like I. I knew you before these records came out and yeah. you had this notoriety and it just seems like this person, Josh, that I know that's just getting prodded yeah. at. Um, and I'm surprised that, that that's not seen more. And like, yeah. I have to say, like, I've been interviewing for like seven or eight years now and interviewing musicians is the hardest thing I've ever done because yeah. they're treated so poorly by interviewers all the time that they don't want to fucking yeah. talk to me anymore. Yeah, and, you know, most people that you see get interviewed on TV have undergone, like, extensive media training and have a publicist sitting next to them Mm -hmm. that when a question comes up that they know that the, whatever, the person is doesn't like, the, the person getting interviewed can just sit there with a frozen smile on their face while the, you know, not betraying any kind of humanity, while the publicist goes, you know, just like, we're not going there, you know? And it abdicates the, you know, I mean, if I could, if, if I could be, you know, I mean, I have to do that for myself, which makes me sound, I should just come out and say like, I don't want to answer that question. But the, but the difficult, musician interview is like a trope now that if you do that you then fall into like an even worse category of prima donna you know or hypocrite because you don't you're unwilling to tell the truth about yourself when that is like the whole thing that informs what you do you know like that you're so honest and you're so confessional and you can't even answer this question like you know 
It is a mind fuck. So then I take some weird other route, you know, that... I mean, I had one, I think my, my, you know, the most publicly horrible interview that I did was with BBC Six, with it's this show called like Radcliffe and Mahoney or something. And the moment I walked into this room, it was like very evident that it's like, this is uh, some two man comedy show and I'm here to be the straight man, you know, for this thing, which I, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, fucking do that before the interview airs the one guy go one of the guys goes you know i saw you uh i don't know if you remember this building uh it's here in manchester it's, it's the old bbc six studio and i saw you play with fleet foxes there and you know since it's been demolished not because of you guys of course you know ha 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 and then and i'm like yeah i, I remember that and then they go on air and he goes, you know, I saw, I don't know if you remember this building, it's the old BBC Six building here in Manchester, and I saw you play, you know, with Fleet Foxes. It's recently been demolished, but like, not because of you guys, ha 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 ha. And then he looks at me and I'm just like, what is going on? Like, are you psychotic? You know? My, you know, I'm not gonna repeat myself, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I cannot do that. You know, it gives me such anxiety to repeat myself that it makes it, you know, interviews would be a lot easier. If And I realize I do repeat myself. I do definitely develop, like, things that help me get through a certain line of questioning, sure. you know, with grace. But those are just data points, you know. It isn't like a, <laughs> you know, like a persona or something. You know, make it through. I mean, watching an interview is like watching someone jump off a high dive and going like, that's not that high. <laughs> but once you actually get up there and you look down, it's like, holy fuck, you know, like, what the fuck are, am I supposed to do? Like, how did, how did that guy, like, you know, even when someone's doing it poorly, they make it look easier than it is, Yeah. you know? Especially if you have like, you know, I have like the, you know, I've got the roommate, you know, like the crappy roommate that lives in my mind that is like, that I'm dialoguing with all the time, you know? Yeah. Not in like a, it just in the way that we all do, you know? But I mean, mine is maybe, mine sounds a lot like me, which means that he's like confusing and dense and, you know, whatever. <laughs> it is a really scary thing to commit to like, answers and ideas and whatever without any kind of checks and balances that you know usually so and I get I get really defensive you know it's like not my best trait I get defensive and like I don't trust <laughs> I don't trust them and it's so funny that the key promotional tool in music is the very thing that makes people look so horrible <laughs> you know I do, the, the irony is that I do actually really need, you, you were asking me like if stuff affects my songwriting. Mm -hmm. And there is a part of me that, that will write something that I know is like problematic or something. And then I think, well, I'm going to do interviews and like explain it and give sure. context. 
Unfortunately, those interviews just end up getting, I mean, I, I, I cannot do print interviews anymore because my shit gets disfigured in this insane way where like, I don't know what these people are thinking, but they just take sentences and jam them together into these like completely nonsensical. There was something where I said like, in uh, dark corners of my mind, I wanna like combat the liberal mentality, you know, or something. And then they put like, at night, I want to combat the female mentality. You know, I was just like, you know, it, it, it's just, that is like such an insane, you know, especially given, you know, a little bit of the <laughs> commentary or other thing. Um, it's just like, yeah. And on a Freudian level, those things are addressing misconceptions about me that pre-exist. Sure. So it's ju all it's doing, it's just doing more harm. And if you're an artist, you need people to have faith in your subtlety or in your you know what i mean like if sure. you're just a fucking like just a cartoon character then that is really detrimental to the context in which your work is experienced and i get the irony of saying this while i'm interviewing you but <laughs> why do you keep doing it then like why say yes at all because to not do it is to abandon my fucking agency you know like to do it's to no, play a game that's not true because you know <laughs> no i know i know you know that if like you wanted to have full agency that you have enough of an audience at this yeah, point yeah. that people like consider anything you do enough of a fucking powder keg that if you were just like to be like i'm gonna interview myself and those are my only interviews and you yeah. like, print or tweet those out or film something like that that people would fucking eat it up no. like you could do that. Oh, which I'm going to do. Whatever values of self-preservation that inevitably end up governing like what I do and how I perceive what I do yeah. are not the values that a listener has, you know. And to and even to hear me kind of go like fuck up. Fair. No, I think in a good way. Okay. I think but my I have some some, you know, like like we were talking about the Mark Maron podcast, you know, like, and I listen to it, and I'm just like, oh my God, I hate me, you know. But for all, but for largely for reasons that someone who isn't me listens to it and goes like that that was good, that was like, ref or you know, whether it's like refreshing or 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 real or vulnerable or whatever. I feel the same way about the Philadelphia thing, you know? It's it's loose. It's really loose. <laughs> it's a little sad and it's it's just it's not hitting the marks of like a well construct it's sort of sort of contradicts itself at times, you know, but but that's not the point, you know? The point is is to you can turn on any any TV and find a well-constructed, fiery screed against the injustices of whoever and whatever. You know, yeah, that's like airtight. That's like the thing that I didn't understand is that you weren't looking at the audience and saying, you're doing it wrong. You're reacting wrong. You yeah. went up there and you said, I can't do this right yeah. now. Yeah. Like you were a person having a moment where you were like, I can't fucking do this right now. Yeah. Here are the reasons why I can't do it. Yeah. 
it wasn't prescriptive. Yeah. And it wasn't even a lecture. It was this moment of fucking vulnerability where you were like, I'm kind of losing my shit and I can't yeah. do this right now. Yeah. And that's why the reaction to it really surprised me. Yeah. yeah. And and what's really like the nature, the the kind of like monotony of the response was really interesting because there were just two there were two responses. One was you got paid to do this which I didn't take, I left the check on the table. I didn't get, I didn't pay myself for that. that. Which is, you know, which means that people think that I'm a real dirt bag, you know, like that I, that I did that. And then there was this weird follow-up where somebody was like, I saw Josh Tillman get into the van and start laughing hysterically about what he had just done. If anything i mean i was shell shocked you know part of me was like career over <laughs> you know which doesn't fill me with mirth if anything i was like you know i had my my tm and my sound guy in there and they're just like what the fuck just happened and they're kind of going you know they're going like that was good man you know like do what you need to do and, and i'm going like <laughs> yeah like trying to just neutralize you know trying to make them comfortable but um that portrayal of me as someone who took a dump on stage got paid for it and then laughed about it is uh pretty pretty raw you know it, but it's if you're surfing around the internet uh for content or whatever then it's it's definitely a way better story dude is douche does douchey things story at nine <laughs> <laughs> but like it did it did seem that the response was who can make the most clever version of you know mm -hmm. shut up and play like of that joke oh yeah and yeah the other response was was I work hard all I wanted this all I wanted was to come to the harbor and enjoy an afternoon of live music is that so much to ask you know and yeah i was directly confronting that what what they failed to see is that is like exactly what i was addressing I'm not saying what I did was right, or, or, I'm saying it, it was. Well, what I'm really trying to say is that we're all that we're all complicit, like in this thing. That that money, that entertainers getting paid too much money doesn't exist without the populace at large needing entertainment and sure, being willing to pay. But not wanting any, to be part yeah. of the problem. What are you doing to combat that? Yeah, I'm. I've been asking myself that question like crazy. You know. Like, I don't have it figured out. And I have brought it up. Like, on the first, that learning to love the war 
thing. And it was yeah. just like, God, this like the the cost of me following my dreams is maybe like really disproportionate to to what my dreams can accomplish in terms of giving back. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the, I, there's this meta you know layer to it where it's like I'm asking these questions, but then you're listening to it on uh, an LP you know, made out of petrol. And that, again, is the kind of thing, it's like an entertainer being on stage decrying entertainment is just what gets me off, you know? I don't think, I'm not gonna stay there. I think it's just part of the process, but it's just, you have to have that kind of, I think you have to have that kind of awareness to like make it through this horror show, but you can't stay there. Have you seen Have you seen Stardust Memories? No. The Woody Allen movie. It's this meditation on like his fame and his like what it means. What does it all mean? Like what am I gonna do with this? Like I'm surrounded by sycophants and I you know and and I'm losing perspective and whatever you know. It's it's beautiful. It's like a total Fellini like lift. And at the end of the movie, <laughs> he's like in a field like crying to you know like he's just like what do i do how do i make the world a better place what's my purpose and this alien spacecraft comes down and these aliens get out and he's like but shouldn't i stop making movies and do something that counts like like helping blind people or becoming a missionary or something let me tell you you're not the missionary type you'd never last and and incidentally you're also not superman you're a comedian you want to do mankind a real service Tell funnier jokes. Yeah, but I've got to find meaning. And if he had been talking to a lawmaker or a teacher or, you know, whoever, like, the answer would be the same. So that is Josh Tillman. Uh, thank you, Josh, for talking to me for like 19 years in your hotel room <laughs> in September. I appreciate it. I feel like it's also a good segue into something that I wanted to mention anyway as mm-hmm. we wrap up season two, which is Stuart, who puts together our brilliant show notes, uh, also put together a website for some top 10 lists this year Year and top 10 year end lists. Yeah. And I bring that up because there are a ton of great lists on there. I of course wrote one about podcasts. If you're looking for some stuff to listen to, well, well we are on our break for (laughs) waiting for season three. There's plenty. Um, And also some pop put together a list of some charities, some Northwest charities and some national international charities that are important to us. The staff uh, here, yeah. Yeah, the staff of Sub Pop as we're all trying to be better us's yeah. and, you know, triple check ourselves and where we're coming from and how we can do good in the world. And those are some of the, the things that we're contributing to. If you want some help navigating stuff, <laughs> like that's what that's what we got. There's or just so many, see what we have. Yeah, yeah, just to see what we have. There's so many charities out there and these are ones that have been vetted that we 
picked carefully. So yeah, there's a list of those. And as always, please contact us at podcast at subpop.com for yeah. any suggestions or feedback or ideas of your own. We're always happy and willing to listen. Yeah, we love them. We read them. We yeah. respond. Yes, absolutely. Please write to us. End of season two feels pretty good. I can't believe it. I know. Are you sure there's going to be a season three? Positive. <laughs> um, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the bosses. Thanks to every staff, friend, foe, whoever yeah. here at Sub Pop and Hardly Art. I think that's it. I yeah, think we'll that see seems you. like enough. We'll see you next year. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for that sound effect.